Hello, hello, welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying, and all the morbid morsels in between. This week, I've got something a little bit different lined up for you. From here on out, um, you won't just be getting episodes featuring some of the weirdest morbid cases from history and delving into what are funerals and what happens. If you can hear any scrabbling or some squeaking, um, that's because the guinea pigs are in here with me today. (laughs) But don't worry, Um, you'll be transported to the North Merchiston Cemetery with myself and a very special guest very soon. But before we kick off, I think it's time for us to do our regular intro, which means before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, including, well, cemeteries, funeral care, that kind of thing. But if you're here, I think you'll probably get it. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into cake and a good romance novel than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready. And we are in a cemetery today, so you may genuinely need them, because today I am talking to the wonderful author T.L. Huchu about the Edinburgh Nights book series. Hello, I am currently in the North Murchison Cemetery in Edinburgh with the wonderful, fantastic author, T.L. Huchu. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, just like me and Jasper to meet up in cemeteries. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, to be fair, it is normally coffee shops, but... But we decided to take it To the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing better would be if there was a coffee shop in the cemetery that would be amazing that would be incredible that's a great business idea if you ever want to go into business i'm i'm so i've worked in coffee shops before you know and there's a lot of beautiful (laughs) old graveyards in edinburgh we could do like cafe art like 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 latte art but like little skulls on top i mean Mm -hmm. i can't do latte art but we can hire someone who knows how (laughs) before we really get into this i have to compliment your job I mean, this jacket's got the Grim Ripper, it's got skulls on it, it's got Frankenstein, it's got Dracula. It's got everything you need for a walk in the graveyard. The only thing it's not is waterproof. So, I mean, we're in Edinburgh, so it's, you, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be somewhat raining all the time anyway. Yeah. But I just hope there's not a, a downpour. Uh, although, knowing my luck now, I've said that, I've probably jinxed us. Yeah. But <laughs> it's fine. There's lots of big trees around. We'll be okay. Uh, but the, the graveyard that we're in at the moment um, is, as lots of other um, cemeteries are in Edinburgh, is an overspill graveyard um, from uh, a much older graveyard, which is the Dowry Cemetery, which is just up the road from here, which is 
absolutely gorgeous but tiny and it filled up as uh, as graveyards do you can only stack so many dead people on top of each other before you go i think this might be too many dead people um and so they branched out and this particular graveyard um has different war memorials in it too but we're not actually here to talk about the graveyard we are here to talk about the edinburgh knights book series uh and, and this is the location <laughs> for the great finale Yes. In the book, so yes, a great choice. I mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> all that credit goes to yourself. <laughs> but I mean, without maybe many spoilers or, or as few spoilers, uh, I'm there, there. There will be spoilers because, I mean, you know, we're talking about <laughs> the books. Yeah. But that's no reason not to read them. They're fantastic. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the books? Sure thing. Um... So the series is called the Edinburgh Night Series, as you said. The first book is The Library of the Dead. <laughs> um, and <laughs> that came out in 2021. Can I say, it's such like a pulp-like film kind of title from like the 70s. Do you know, I'd imagine like um, someone on the cover with like a, a cape and like a big sort of gothic library behind him that's just like the vibes that i get when i hear it like i i have so many like weird retro vintage like books now and they all have like epic titles like that um so yeah if you if you ever redo the the jackets on them (laughs) there's an idea sorry (laughs) interrupted that i don't mind um a bit of foul but um (laughs) yeah the the whole idea behind having a a library of the dead is i'm one of those weird people so are you who really <laughs> are you enjoys... outing me <laughs> to be I honest totally am. if you've listened to any of the podcasts up until now and you haven't worked that out then shame on you <laughs> <laughs> i love these spaces i mean look all around us you've got flowers you've got all these amazing old trees it's like a park um just being in this space right now you you forget we're in the city it we really could be in you the do. countryside you do actually um it's it's true like you have these big green spaces that you can totally get lost in like the, the cemetery is big enough that you can stand in a place and and if, if it weren't for the slight traffic noise you genuinely wouldn't know that you were still pretty centrally in yeah. I, I i mean a capital city exactly and i'm one of those people i i like the fact that you know, I know people like well-kept, well-kept spaces, mm. but I like the fact that they've allowed the grass to grow. You know, you've got mm-hmm. these flowers out here. It's it's just so peaceful and amazing. Well, we spotted a bit of holly yeah, yeah. growing everywhere, which is probably apt for, for a cemetery. <laughs> yeah. We've seen bluebells yes. and debated whether it was the foxglove. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think either of us have particular green thumbs. I, for one, have one particular monstera that I managed to somehow save from from dying every month. Um, but yeah, we we with the help of Google, we were able to work out that um, they were bluebells uh, and not foxgloves. And then what what was the other the other the one? Dead men's flourish. Yes, which is the best name for a flower, and I can only think that it's called that because it must pop up in graveyards. <coughs> all over the place like that that has to be why if it's got a different reason then i definitely need to know it um yeah it's a bit of a space like this is mm. probably not taking new visitors but if you planted <laughs> me here i would not complain at all i mean they don't need to know right you could have gonzo yeah. funerals and just carve out a little plot 
<laughs> As a funeral arranger, I could point out like how much red tape and paperwork and uh, law breaking there would be, but I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> Although it does That's give me slight episode. Yes, yeah, it does give me slight heart palpitations over the idea of someone doing that. <laughs> so the library of the dead. So, you know, when you walk around a space like this, and there is a lot of history here, all around us. I mean, this was a Commonwealth war grave. Mm, mm-hmm. you know, so you are getting. I have just spotted one with the well, Scottish Fusiliers. Um, <laughs> you know, so I love looking at the names and the inscriptions, and and you learn a lot about the history of the place you're in. Yeah, yeah. In cemeteries, they they really are a fantastic historical record of what was there before. <clears throat> and when I first conceived of the Library of the Dead. Um, I'm from Zimbabwe originally, but now I'm the most Scottish man alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, after Mel Gibson, of course. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how could you? <laughs> <laughs> how could I top that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, there is this National Heroes Acre uh, in, in Harare, which I've been to, where they bury all these old guys that fought in the liberation struggle. Oh, wow. In the decolonial efforts and um when you go there because one of the issues that we have is a lot of these prominent figures in our national history didn't live behind biographies or papers or Mm. any kind of records but when you go there you know you feel a certain presence and you can start doing i've got to ask what are cemeteries like in zimbabwe it's it's really a mix right because because of the culture, most people have an urban home and a rural home, what they call kumusha. Okay. So when I was growing up on holidays, we didn't go to touristy places. You went to this <laughs> Heaven <home>. forbid. <laughs> you, you went back to no this rural home where, <laughs> where my, my dad's mum lived and, and Kwasadza, which is the sticks near Chifu, right? And would be there, there's no TV. Everyone there lives in these old-fashioned, um, traditional mud huts. You know, so you'd till the fields, you'd, you'd help out. Which, <laughs> so it's not really a holiday. It's not really a holiday. <laughs> it's free labor. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the point. And, and there was a lot of pressure because you come in from like an urban setting, right? Yeah. And you're not used to that hard physical work. <laughs> But that would make you do it. It was a bit fucked up. <laughs> I didn't... Well, you know these childhood experiences that you have and you hate them at the time? Mm-hmm. But then when you look back at sort of like meeting your extended family, the camaraderie, the jokes, the stories that were told. And they, the indentured servitude. Yeah. <laughs> Everything has a price. Um, so what would happen then, more prominently, um, especially with the older generations, is that's home. Yeah. And when they pass away, they want to be taken and buried there. So you, there'll be these family cemeteries. Are they on the property or are they more like sort of for people in the local area? They are for the family. So each homestead, yeah. you know, you can imagine it's, it's a subsistence agrarian type of situation. Yeah. So each family has its own homestead and its own graveyard. And Wow. Yeah, so you can only bury, you only want to bury people from your family because yeah. of the spirits, right? So one of the traditional Shona um, 
cultural things that you do when someone has died after a period of time you have what's called a ceremony called groa gua a literal translation is beating the grave but that's <laughs> that is too literal okay <laughs> it's, it's more of a metaphor yeah the, the, maybe a more accurate translation would be bringing the spirits home so okay. you brew beer you do music you know you have uh traditional religious practitioners there yeah and because you don't want your beloved family member wandering the forest of course you want them to come back home yeah because the ans- eventually they morph into an ancestor and they help the family and bring good fortune and because everything is tied to your lineage so it's very important that you bring them back yeah and so you couldn't do that with a stranger instead what you might end up with is a disgruntled spirit mm. now when shona spirits are disgruntled you know about it because you start getting <laughs> funky and unex- inexplicable right not unexplainable inexplicable is the right word yeah diseases uh misfortune so you accidents. get a proper haunting oh yeah oh, oh yeah your life is fucked up but the, the, <laughs> the messages are subtle you might not see anything but just weird yeah. shit that's happening and so you can't have that ever um that's very important no i don't i don't want my ancestors fucking my shit up <laughs> <laughs> so everyone buries their own people and and it it leads to an interesting phenomena sometimes when you travel through these rural areas you've got what they call matongo which is these abandoned or disused farms. Mm. For some reason, I don't know whether a family would have died out or they would have migrated and moved to a different part of the country. Mm. But it's very hard to occupy those spaces if they've left their dead there. Yeah. You can't live with their dead. Um so when you drive around sometimes you find these old disused huts. So you you end up with a situation where no one can ever really buy or take over the land your family owns because the dead are there because the dead are there and and in in Shona tradition the land really in terms of the whole country etc it doesn't belong to the people it belongs to the ancestors yeah um, so <clears throat> urban people now for practical reasons i mean you know a lot of the urban centers were set up by the british who colonized us yeah and they brought their own traditions of having cemeteries in the cities so those are also interesting the irony that we're walking around a victorian cemetery a <laughs> <laughs> uh, a once probably very regimented victorian cemetery as yeah. well yeah and 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 so they left their dead there because obviously you couldn't ship and unless you did the whole david livingstone thing you know the story <laughs> that happened david no. livingstone um famous scottish yeah missionary explorer, explorer etc yeah was trying to find was it the it was the source of the nile was it source of the nile i think but yeah. he was so wrong didn't know what he was doing oh yeah <laughs> blundered about but he did he was the first european to see the uh, victoria falls in zimbabwe which was called the mosiotunya but you know the british come and they discover your shit and they name it <laughs> and they said he discovered it and and they made uh. up this story about the locals being so afraid of it that it took a white man going there <laughs> show the no it's just water it's crazy you have to think he got off on it <laughs> there's some like sexual power thing in there <laughs> like surely <laughs> but after he died they kind of dried up his body did some stuff and yeah 
left his heart in Africa, but yeah. moved this like desiccated corpse across, and it's a long distance to get to. I, I believe they they went to the Swahili coast, which would be Kenya or Tanzania, somewhere there, to get him shipped back to yeah to Britain. So un, un, unless you know, he's the one that got away. But still left his heart. I think I'll have to get you back on the podcast and we'll do like a whole episode on it and we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll find everything out, dig, every, dig everything up. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> and being bibliophiles, mm. I would recommend um, Petina Gappa's book on it. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. And now, because we're live on a podcast, I cannot remember the title. <laughs> so we need a, a podcast. I'll, right. I'll Google it and uh, the book and I'll, I'll put it in the in the. God, a bit underneath oh my words are escaping me I'm, I'm in listening mode not speaking mode that's why <laughs> so you've got those cemeteries um you know in in sort of the urban centers and and what you then find is because of the segregation that was practiced at the time you go to certain old cemeteries where it's just white people and you know black people were in urban areas if if there were migrants from malawi or zambia they would mm. be buried in the township cemeteries yeah um but with some of them now they kind of integrated cemeteries yeah um, but space is a thing yeah yeah so it's it's the same concept in the urban mm. areas but a different practice i do the rural. It, it, it's it's so interesting and it does i mean not completely the same but there are parallels between um my family on my dad's side of farming people in devon mm-hmm. um living in this teeny tiny village you know he was one of the first to leave the first to go to university mm-hmm. and most of his family are buried in that village cemetery mm-hmm. um and i you know as, as far as i'm aware that's where he would like to be buried i know how expensive it is <laughs> to to bury someone these days though being a so, funeral planner those yeah. kind of practical legal considerations oh yeah yeah uh, no i do i do i do think about it but but that's the thing like that's where everyone would have gone back to be buried like they all would have come home i mean certainly it was a very strictly christian society baptist i believe so you know ancestors obviously they didn't you know, when you're dead you're kind of dead <laughs> you're buried you're dead everyone gets on with their life but adopted the whole christian thing yeah yeah um yeah with that you know that's kind of a dilemma that uh myself uh, as a zimbabwean migrant Mm. and a lot of my peers have right um initially uh, when we first got here it was kind of normal practice for if someone died yeah despite the great expense which for i don't me, know if you've done repatriation i haven't yet um that d- where where i am it uh, I, do you know what it's so interesting the kind of funerals that you do are so dependent on the local community and for our local community we, we don't have a lot of people coming in from any particular sort of ethnic background who um you know that those are their wishes um, to be to be sent home. So I've not had the opportunity yet, mm-hmm. um, but it is an expensive it is. procedure um, it to is. go through. <laughs> Very expensive, and and it can take its its toll, right? Mm. If you, if you consider, and, and you must deal with some of these things. If a lot of poor people in sort of like law paid jobs, they might not have a funeral plan or, yeah. or a policy to deal with that. Yeah. And the burden then falls on 
you know i don't family, i don't even know of anywhere who would do a policy that would take that into account because mm. of the changing prices um and of the transport and of the legalities as well that change around it so i actually don't know whether that's something you could even put in place beforehand so then you're always going to be liable to pay it up front which is not possible for everyone you know yeah and and, and so you, you do end up getting like friction between people who are here and people who are back home because mm. when someone's passed there's people back home kind of insisting that we have to do things the traditional way the right way you yeah. have to bring them back yeah and then there's people here saying okay you're out there we're gonna have to foot the bill for this and, and <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's it's changing now um yeah you know i have an aunt who who passed away rest her soul um in 2021 and she chose to buried here because her kids are here and yeah so, yeah you know they'll visit her at least yeah she's nearby um so people and are making those kind of decisions what a decision to have to make though is that you either go back to your ancestral homeland or you stay where you know the next generations of your family are i mean that's that's yeah. a big difficult decision and and even harder as well if you've not maybe come to a decision yourself before you pass or perhaps you pass suddenly and and you know you've it's not a discussion you've had with someone how does your family then decide for you and and, and this is <laughs> it's an impossible question this is the reason we have these frictions because mm. and you've mentioned sort of like the changing burial practices yeah. um in this community but in zimbabwe we still have a problem with people not living wills behind uh yeah and so things get messy because if you have that final document yeah that says this is what this person wanted yeah it's pretty difficult to contest that and it's it, it's a, it's not even having to have a will a lot of the time as well it's oftentimes just having someone that you trust who you've spoken to and maybe they've got like a document with the things that you would like you know it's even just having a place that you've left those but mm -hmm. most people just don't don't think about it you know <laughs> they're like oh you know uh someone else will deal with it and uh <laughs> yeah it, it's, I, to be fair it, your death and funeral arrangements aren't, aren't really your problem you're gone i mean yeah that, it, that is true that you live behind <laughs> but it would be kinder to everyone else if you you got that sorted out i mean certainly in my experience it is much kinder on the people left behind when there is at least something in place even if it is just like they've had a conversation of this is the kind of thing i want you know even these are songs i'd like played and that's just one less thing that they that they have to think about we are so off topic though <laughs> we we were talking about Library of the Dead and the cemetery. And oh, yeah. oh, let's get back on tangent. Our conversations do get so digressive, oh, don't I they? I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so there was this space, and you know, I created this secret cult mm. whose practice it was to, you know, when people got buried, and if they felt they were important enough or they had certain ideas or had made certain contributions that they wanted to hold on to those and they had ways of turning actual dead bodies mm. into books that could then be read which is such a cool idea and it gives me like evil dead <laughs> <laughs> without you know the like uh fighting your own seven hand kind of vibe but yeah. <laughs> necronomicon vibes yeah. um which is i'm i'm definitely doing an episode at some point on um 
books bound in human skin uh th- there's a fantastic book called dark archives again i will um i'll i'll put that um in the comments um for the episode because it is phenomenal and it she just she busts so many myths because she's a librarian the author in the states um and she works with a, a non-profit organization who basically tests books that are rumored to be human skin to find out whether they really are and there are some that for you know even like 100 years have been sort of held in a certain regard because everyone's like oh well, that's a people book yep. um and they think you used to be able to look at the pores on the on 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 the leather and work it out you absolutely can you absolutely can it looks like any other leather book like th- th- there's you know you'd like oh well, i think people would like to think there's some like special je ne sais quoi to a Something ritualistic, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It's something yeah. occultic. It's something dark. Yeah. It, it has that feeling of, of the forbidden. Well, un- unfortunately, what they generally turned out to be was um, people who died in the care of certain doctors who then viewed their corpses as their property um, and had them flayed and tanned and bound, often even into books that they had written themselves. Um, which is i don't know where on earth you would begin to think that way about another human being but there you go that's the medical practice of uh you know the 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 victorians and well, when, <laughs> we're in edinburgh that is the place mm. for well that's true you've got burke skin book at the surgeon's hall museum so you know there is one in edinburgh that you actually can go and see although that's not one that has actually been tested um so technically we don't know like a hundred percent but we're we're pretty sure that that is what that is well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> so that was the whole idea of, of bringing the dead back and, and the library of the dead and kind of being able to... It, it borrows stuff from Shona spirituality, mm. right? Um, which, you know, we believe you can commune with the ancestors. So if you're having problems and issues, you go to a, <laughs> a Nanga, a traditional healer, a spiritualist, and they get visited by the spirits and then they kind of tell you, the things that you need to do to get these issues sorted out um but the use of music as well is i i I love how music is like a part of that sort of contacting um because it's it's the marimba the mbira mbira sorry um which uh ropa use it ropa being the main character who i uh, i love her so much she's every boisterous rc teenager that we've all been (laughs) but in the best way she knows exactly what she's about and she's gonna make it happen um but yeah so she uses that musical instrument Uh, i think that is such a cool way to connect and and again that's borrowing from shona's spirituality so so ropa is is as you said that the lead character our narrator in the library of the dead Mm. um and she has a ghost talking business where, you know, if you're a ghost and you've got shit that you need to pass on to your family, you visit her and she will, for a fee, of course. Of course. Girls got to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> Girls got to eat. <laughs> pass on the message to your family. Um, and one of the, in- the instruments that she plays is the mirror, as you suggested, because this is also very important in Shona's spirituality. If you think about how you want to make contact with the dead. I know the Victorians had 
there are seances, which is a very different style. Very, But, yeah. Um, if ever you've been in a place with certain kinds of music, drumming, mm. you know, and that Zimbabwean traditional drums are kind of, they, they built uh, the bass. Oh, someone's got a wreath laid. We've, we've, we've stumbled across a grave which has, uh, bear in mind, it's nearly June. Uh, it has a Christmas wreath on it, complete oh, with... Holly. Oh. <laughs> Someone's complaining about a bus, probably. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting touch. Yeah. All the things you'll discover. That's why I love these spaces, right? <laughs> Because now I'm wondering who left that there? Why yeah. this particular gesture? Um, and so everyone here meant something to someone Yeah. At some point. And I guess that thing that they say, you, you're around for as long as people remember you. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of Ropa's job yeah. to remind people of the ones that have passed on. So in the book, she meets Nicola, a ghost who can't pay, which is a big no-no for her. <laughs> um, but Nicola's son, Ollie, is missing. And she wants Ropa to try to find out what's going on because no one else is interested. Initially, Ropa declines, but she kind of gets roped into it. She's soft at heart. She is. She, she <laughs> likes to pretend otherwise, but... <laughs> yeah, she, she, she has this very tough exterior, but yeah. she's a big softie. But, um, like, so much of that is the world that she grows up in because you sort of... You create this world that simultaneously feels really old and futuristic and you you somehow in that way combine like the best parts of edinburgh like history with like these thoughts of like well what if and like where are we going and and also this idea that like even if we get into this like dystopian future we'll never forget that history and especially somewhere like edinburgh where like the landscape is the city is its landscape really mm. like it it you know that kind of thing will never go away it, it will never be forgotten but it's just it's so interesting to aspect me of, of the city's yeah. character and and edinburgh definitely has a character I, i remember first you know when i first moved here and mm. you know I, i had this distinct sense wondering about drunk at night <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a young student um, <laughs> that you know up the wines or yeah you know the, the alleyways the closes and mm -hmm. all the little stairways that you uh, find have you ever passed by one and felt something was looking at you like, mm, that's weird it's it's one of those cities where it looks fundamentally different after dark And especially where you've got this architect, because if, if you know anything about the way Edinburgh was built, they built up, yes, because it's, you, you know, you've got the castle at the centre, which is sort of the, the peak of the city and everything else is below it. But then they built down because they had no more space and the whole city was sort of inside this walled area um and and so you have all these different levels and all these incredibly old buildings hundreds of years old so if you're wandering around the city at night you do have moments where you know maybe it's a shadow 
maybe mm-hmm. it's not I'm a skeptic <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably you know my brain's gonna think it's probably a shadow it doesn't make it any less creepy where the shape of something just isn't what you'd expect it to be in so much of the city especially centrally in 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 the old town is like that it, it's it's very weird but it's also very powerful and mm. I can say for me as a writer coming into that you are influenced by the space that you're in. I mean, we can talk about um, influential authors from Edinburgh, Robert Louis Stevenson, mm-hmm. uh, James Hogg, uh, Confessions of a Justified Sinner. Oh, yes. Which is fucked yeah. up and, and, and weird. <laughs> All right. So, but, you know, you've got your conception of Jekyll and Hyde. That yes. Weird psychology. Which Edinburgh the city has, to... because you have the old town and the new town. You've always had the upper and lower crust of society. And I mean mm. the upper, upper, because it's a capital city and the absolute slums as well that, you know, came alongside it living together. So the city itself has always had this split personality. Um, and it, you know it kind of it kind of it, there's a wider diaspora of it now it's on a, a bigger spectrum but it's still there um and and i think as well the the architecture of the city like you can't write a book about edinburgh and not fall into the gothic genre like you no, you can't you can't you can't, you can't do it <laughs> like if if you have it in your mind that you're going to write about edinburgh know that you're writing a gothic novel <laughs> Guaranteed. And one of the um, things for me coming over here, um, because when you're out in Zimbabwe, a former colony, right, and you think of Britain, mm. everywhere is England. Yeah, you know there's the Scots and <laughs> um, then the most of it, mo- Most English people think that too. <laughs> <laughs> but winding up in Scotland and realizing there's this whole other thing Mm-hmm. going on this history and this tradition but Scotland being sort of like in this draw row of both colonised and colonised right it, it mm-hmm. has this mm-hmm. ambiguous um, position well I mean because if you think about like Jamaica in terms of like um, so many of the slavers who went over to Jamaica were Scottish yep um, and then of course you have the like you're saying the border with England which mm-hmm. has been constantly fought over um you know, it's sort of, I mean, probably since people had any kind of idea of drawing lines and, and national, you know, nationalities. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point to make in terms of yeah. they are both colonizing and being colonized. Yeah, and, and that was kind of built into sort of the act of union, right? 1707, mm. where mm-hmm. Scotland finally um, <laughs> gives up her independence because of. The failed Darien project, which was like uh, the idea that Scotland would colonize Panama and make a lot of money, but yeah. it bankrupted them yeah. and forced them into this union that has now endured 300 We'll see how yes. much longer it endures for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brexit. <laughs> yeah, so discovering Scotland like that, and I obviously then had an interest in the Scottish Enlightenment. Mm which is this period of flourishing. So Scotland joins the empire. And with that, you've talked about the colonies in the Caribbean, Mm. you know, slavery, plantations, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Wealth starts flowing in. Before that, it was a shit old country, Europe's, (laughs) Western Europe's poorest nation. Yeah. And now it's part of this empire building project. And 
with that wealth comes a flourishing and philosophy and and literature and you look at how edinburgh becomes one of the um you know one of the most important places in the world for um medical sciences mm-hmm. and and you know um learning to to train uh, in that kind of way so it, you know it didn't take long for scotland to establish itself on the world stage once it had a bit of dollar <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know the scots pioneered universal education mm, mm-hmm. would have thought and they had a big influence out in in sort of like the design of the American education system and stuff like that. Scotland had, um, what, was it four universities? Possibly. Which, yeah, uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen and St Andrews, I believe. Yes, and yeah. So there's all this learning science, this flourishing that's going on, which has a tremendous impact um, on global history. Yeah. And Say what you will about the colonial process and stuff. Um, I think some of those achievements, for good or ill, still carry on. Um, if we think about the progress that was made in medicine, mm. we all kind of universally benefit from yeah. that stuff. It's just unfortunately on on. Any, I mean, earlier we were talking about you know the the doctors of that time period taking advantage of their patients. You know whether it was experimentation or I, I, it's it's so difficult trying to parcel um sort of new endeavors and uh experiments and that kind of thing from their origins mm-hmm. like if you think about something like the only reason that we know so much about hypothermia is because of the experiments that the nazis did mm-hmm. um and it's one of the only reasons that we know sort of how long you can survive in the cold how long parts of your body can survive in the cold is because they were freezing people and Jesus. then seeing how how long they could freeze them for before they were unable to, you know, sort of thaw them out, essentially. So, you know, this idea of, you know, progress is such a double-edged sword. Um. It is, and, and, and what to do with it. I, I think it's okay to be um, aware of it. Mm. Um, I hope people get annoyed by it, but I'm just one of those people that believes... It is what it is. Human beings are fundamentally flawed yeah. and fucked up and we, <laughs> we do crazy things, but we also get certain things right. Uh, yeah, and, and I think we've certainly got into this this place of you have to be a kind of like pariah um, and, and, and you have to uh, have done nothing wrong, you know, otherwise you are there is no point to you you are a fundamentally bad person Mm. um and i think that's dangerous in itself because not only do you stop people from being able to redeem themselves learn and grow Mm -hmm. you put people off that idea um you put off the idea that someone can realize that they are wrong yep and go oh shit i'm wrong and Mm. go through a process of learning um and when when you don't allow for that and you instead you, you write them off and you tell them they're, they're bad, um, people double down on their shit, yeah. you know? Like, I'm not, I mean, of course, there's dangerous ideologies that should be shut down. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, the personal lives of the people behind them, mm. you know, like, you have to still have that opportunity to learn and grow. And some people won't. Some people will actively choose not to mm-hmm. regardless. But there's still got to be that chance. And that's important. Um, mm nuance I, I i guess you know one of my own kind of speculations that this is probably so unoriginal because it's it's <laughs> it must, must have read it somewhere was that movement from um sort of like uh 
Christian type of society, right? Mm. In which there is the story of redemption, right? That the sinner can be redeemed. redeemed. Well, we're, we're all born with sin, according to them. So redemption is the whole point. It's <laughs> the whole point. And, and when you move away from that, you start demanding a kind of circular sainthood. Mm. That is impossible if, if we all examine our Especially own when you consider what the Christian saints had to go through in order to become saints. You had to die. Not only did you have to die to become a saint, but you then had to not decay. So even like the very, the very process of it is, is impossible to achieve anyway, but it at least mm-hmm. takes into account the fact that like, if you're going to be this perfect idea of of what a moral person should be then you have to die for your values and, and my favorite <laughs> springboarding off that is saint paul He's oh yeah the ultimate example so this guy called saul was going around kind of murdering and torturing the early christians as you do yeah he has this if you're a roman i assume <laughs> <laughs> but he has this transformation you know um mm. i don't quite recall what happened in the bible i think got blinded or something like that had you know jesus saying why do you persecute me and and kind of changed his ways and then he completely pivots the other way he changes his name from saul to paul mm. um and his influence on the religion itself is so profound i think paul was just a fanatic whichever side you you know whether he was to the left or the right he would be a fanatic yeah but, yeah but it becomes this driver that you know certain scholars consider that there is a pole in Christianity in the sense that he shapes yeah. a lot of, you know, the religion. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's just, it's such an interesting topic. We could absolutely debate for hours, but I'm, I'm sure you don't all want to hear that, those of you who are listening. Um, where did we get back to? Back to the library of the <laughs> yes. dead. So you have the Scottish history. And I'm like, I want to bring this history to life, but I don't want to do a historical novel. Because it's been done, man. Like, Scottish historical novels have been done to death. And they are fantastic, you know. Shout out to Sir Walter Scott, father of the Mm -hmm. historical novel. Yeah. If you go into any charity shop in Edinburgh, you will will find (laughs) uh, a Scott novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it, it really is a, a city for... For writers yeah um and my thing was okay i'll create this slightly futuristic dystopian edinburgh but try to bring back some of those figures and those ideas from the past because this is how we live our lives right we we're in this present kind of always hurtling towards the future but everything we are everything we do is shaped by those that have come before us for good or for ill and Mm. we are always in this place if you think about the contemporary um debates and fights that we have Mm. you can trace for a lot of them Mm -hmm. you can trace their roots to the enlightenment yeah we're still dealing with whatever was done then and it's so important that nothing's new (laughs) (laughs) nothing's new and i think all millennials and gen z's will know that uh everything is coming from unpacking our history and if you don't unpack your own history you will never learn um and your life will continue to suck (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and this is at a personal and national level yeah yeah for sure um we we've been talking for a wee while here what what we're gonna do is um 
we're going to leave you here for now on a on a little cliffhanger and uh next week's episode we're going to be walking around a, another fantastic old uh cemetery uh which again um has a kind of overspill of its own but this one is more central to edinburgh and i would say more central to the book as well um so if you want to hear a bit more about that and come along with us for another ramble then stay tuned for next time So there you have it. Join us again next week where myself and Tendai will be diving even further into the world of Library of the Dead and the Edinburgh Nights, which if you're interested in the book can be purchased from any uh, book retailer. Although, you know, you could go to one of the bigger book retailers or if like myself and Tendai, you live uh, somewhere like Edinburgh, which has the most wonderful array of independent bookstores then you could shop small you know we've got to look after the indies look after the indies and they'll look after us anyway i (laughs) will stop chatting shit in your ear and simply say if you are also a lover of the dark the strange and possibly of cursed literature come and join me over on tiktok at definitions where i also chronicle and recommend all of my favorite morbid books if you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality drop them in the comments reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there and i greatly appreciate the support I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know that you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is research written and read by me, Jasper Charter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, breaks over, pick up that shovel, that grave's not going to dig itself. Bye-bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side.